We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to episode 378 of the Borsana Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Dan Hilfett, and I have the pleasure of being joined by Rory Barlow from Football España and the Liga Lowdown. Last time he was on, he had to talk about Xavi's first loss as manager of FC Barcelona. But this time, we're talking all about a player that could help Xavi lose a bit less, I'd say. And that's Jules Koundé today. Rory, how excited are you for the new La Liga season, even outside of all of Barca's pickups? Yeah, I'm really excited. And um, we, were, we were just talking about the sort of length of the transfer window. And without, uh, we obviously had the women's Euros over in Europe, but without any of the sort of men's international tournaments, it's been a long summer and it feels like we're really building up to a crescendo for the La Liga season. And uh, yeah, I can't wait to get started. But uh, yeah, it's scary to think that we'll be sort of three, four games deep and we'll still have the transfer market open as well. Well, uh, unfortunately, Rory, you don't have, we'll say, the excitement or the blessing to be given the eulogy to Ricky Puj, who will probably no longer be in the Liga as of uh, a few days' time. But we'll do that in the second show this week. Say goodbye to Ricky Puj and all that stuff, a staple of the Barcelona podcast for the last few years. Instead, we begin, and the whole show today is really about Jules Kunde, 23-year-old, French centre-back, will be 24 in November, so still in uh, 23 years old, not like he's turning 24 next week or the week after, and just debuted for the French national team just 14 months ago. So a reminder that while it feels like Jules Koundé has been in our life for a long time, he is still a very, very young player with uh, his prime years much ahead of him. So he was born in France, only debuted as a professional with Bordeaux back in 2018 when he shared the team with Martin Brothwaite. For those, yeah, I guess those who go deep on, on Bordeaux history, I actually spoke about last week on the show about the the payment that was given to Bordeaux from this transfer, even that could potentially save the club. Now, it was a lot of different things that could save Bordeaux, but they were they were looking at liquidation. They were looking at being sent all the way down to the amateur levels. But thankfully, through a number of different transfers, as well as an injection of money in different ways, they will be staying, uh, we'll say alive. They're staying at the professional level. So anyway, Koundé played that half season, that being in 2018, and then one more season with Bordeaux before moving to Sevilla for 25 million euros. At the time, the most expensive transfer in Sevilla's history. Again, that's 2018. It actually was after everything blew up for Barcelona in 2017, and the transfer market really went crazy with Neymar. So that was a little bit of a steal for Sevilla at the time. Now, Rory, setting the stage for the Barcelona transfer, the next center back has evaded Barcelona. And I use quotes there for the next center back has evaded Barcelona for some time. It looked like it would be Umtiti. Looked like that was going to be the guy. And now that PK has begun to fade, even though he was Barca's most consistent center back, even last season, Kunde could be it. Because remember, Ronald Araujo was signed from a smaller team in Uruguay, and he was brought into Barca B, and you didn't know if you'd make the first team. So he wasn't really signed as the next guy. Bar- Barcelona rarely get that center back under the nose of another club like they did with Chelsea. They very rarely do they get that guy. They get the midfielder, they get the forward usually, but they don't get the center back. Now, Rory, Koundé did tell us in his press conference how it happened, right? He said that he made a choice. But are you surprised that it happened? On the one hand, I am, because I think given the summer that Barcelona are having, it feels too much as if everything is going right um, as things stand. I mean, maybe on the exit front, there, there's other things that could be done. There's other things that Matteo Aleman would like to do, but... In terms of incomings, there's really very little you could ask for more from Barcelona, fullbacks aside. 
And Kunde's signing, as you say, it, it's unusual for Barcelona to be beating other teams to sort of these sort of up and coming young, expensive players. I mean, if they if they set their mind to a player like they did with Antoine Griezmann or like they did with Coutinho, they've been paying over the odds in recent years. But this is a deal in which they didn't pay over the odds. They simply managed to persuade Joe Kunde to come. And I think one thing that we've really seen this summer, as good as um, Matteo Alemán's work has been and as, as well as Barcelona have done to get these targets in, it's just how involved that Xavi has been in the process. And the fact that each of these major signings, Rafinha, Lewandowski, Jules Koundé, even Ousmane Dembélé, if you want to count him as a sort of new signing as well, as a re-signing, Xavi has been sort of the, the driving force behind these signings. The fact that he's been speaking to these players, the fact that Xavi, for many of these players, is a guy that they've either played against or, or grown up watching win sort of titles, Champions Leagues uh, and World Cups, and that kind of thing. He's been speaking to them. He's been outlining exactly what they'll do in his Barcelona, outlining exactly what he sees for them and convincing them that Barcelona is the right place for them when perhaps Chelsea, to all intents and purposes, let's not forget that Chelsea won a Champions League two years ago. They have Thomas Tuchel in charge. They have a hell of a lot of money behind them as well. I mean, Barcelona's financial situation is a fun topic, but Chelsea definitely do have that money to be spending and it's it's not risk a risk for them. So... So, yeah, I think it is quite an achievement for Barcelona to be getting Jules Koundé in. I think Xavi, for me, is, has been the quintessential part of it. And I really liked the way that Barcelona have gone about this. I think it's been very strategic. They've seen that, OK, some of these players we're not going to be able to pay over the odds for. We're not going to be able to outbid other teams for. So how do we play on our advantages? How do we use our cachet? How do we use what we do have, the assets we do have? In this case, Xavi, the prestige of the club, the fact that you get to pay, compete against Real Madrid, Lewandowski, the fact that you maybe get to win a Ballon d'Or if you're a Barcelona player because the, the hype is so high around them. And they've used that as a way of negotiating and the, and the fact that they've been able to convince the players almost first before the clubs that they're buying from has, has really paid dividends for them. And it's it's been impressive. I think it's a massive, massive coup for Jules Koundé, uh, to get Jules Koundé. And uh, yeah, we'll come on to it in a second. But I think, as you say, Koundé is... He, he is the, the sort of perfect player. The other signings, Rafinha and, and Lewandowski, Rafinha less, so I'll say, but Lewandowski, you can sort of, you can put doubts to the name. You can say, okay, Lewandowski's a bit older. Should we be spending that much on him? Rafinha, again, did we overpay for him? Kunde is not in that sort of circumstance. Kunde, this is value for money in my view. He is a player that's on the up and he doesn't have sort of outrageous weaknesses. He doesn't have like a downside to the signing really. Um, as far as as far as um, you can get a player that's perfect in inverted commas, Kunde is that guy. Yeah, when you even look at the deals for Koulibaly to Chelsea, th- this window you look at the recent deal years ago for Ruben Diaz from Benfica to Man City, forty five million plus variables for Jules Kunde is incredible value. Like if if you just speak of that transfer alone and don't couple it with yes the other money on transfers that Barcelona has spent and uh, you did say about the finances for Barcelona I want to direct everybody to last week's show that I did all about the finances it's an hour plus of just numbers and actually discussing why Barcelona can't afford what they're doing in the short term and in theory why it could work for them in the long term with the exception of the one update to that show I'll give here real quick we're not going to get into it is that Frankie De Jong's number has already been updated per the cap to now being 29 million euros gross, which when we even started reporting it, we had it at, I think, 2022. And with that raising to 29, that's the reason that tells you why Barcelona are so desperate, so desperate to get those wages off their books. Okay, but again, back to Jules Koundé here. As I said, he's 23. He's still young. He's only been around since 2019, which you know, I guess because, honestly, because of the pandemic, it feels like a lifetime ago. It feels like we had this time to kind of think about who was who in the Liga and where they were. But now coming out of last season even, and you could argue the last season and a half, really, he's ascended into being a top center back in the Liga. So I guess for you, Rory, who cover the whole league and do cover your own because uh, you're not just stuck in your Barcelona bubble, when did he ascend into being a top center back in the Liga and is there even a game? I mean, I, I want to kind of rack your brain here. Is there even a game when you felt like, oh, Jules Kunde's arrived? This is this guy's the real deal. Well, certainly, if you, I'll deal with that first. If you want to 
pick out a sort of a moment when he really sort of stamped his authority against Barcelona when he essentially just ran through the entire defence. Yep. It wasn't particularly <laughs> oh, technical no. run, but just powered through the entire Barcelona team and then like fired it into the bottom corner. And that was really a show of, okay, yeah, this guy's quick and he's fast and strong and he's he's got sort of a bit of um a bit about him on the ball. He can play play well with the ball at his feet. But it was more the desire and the ambition to sort of drive through the Barcelona defence. If you, I mean, you get most wingers get into that situation, they don't have the sort of ambition to take on two, three players and they don't have the sort of presence of mind to then keep their cool and fire into the corner. And this guy's a centre-back. So if you want to talk about moments, that was a big one. But just, I think, in terms of arriving into the top level, in terms of sort of making that leap to to being sort of an elite defender in inverted commas or or somebody that's at the top of the league I think ever since he's arrived he's more or less slotted in and if you look at that sort of first year that's the year that they won the Europa League and maybe they weren't perfect defensively that year but Yulen Nopetegi has based the Sevilla side on this kind of very solid triumvirate of uh, Fernando Regis in midfield Diego Carlos who's now Aston Villa and Jules Koundé and Kunde has been a massive part of that because Fernando's been very good at being able to cover for him. Kunde can drive forward with the ball and it gives them an, an air of unpredictability. So I think almost the entire three years that he's been in La Liga, he's been one of the top center, central defenders. I think you give yourself a year or two just to double check that what you're seeing is correct and it's maybe not just a really good season where it's fit in, but over those past three seasons, there's only two players that have been have won more aerial duels than than Joe Kunde over that time. And yeah, I, I have to say, I think ever since he's come into the league, he's caught my eye. I, I think I'm not alone in that. I'm not sort of breaking any news or, or making out like I've spotted something. I think he's just been incredibly good ever since he's come into the league. And I'd say he's been at the level he needs to be at ever since he arrived at Sevilla. I can't, I can't say that I watched him at Bordeaux but he's slotted in almost perfectly. And he's got Jesus Navas has been his sort of right-sided central, uh, right-sided defender for the majority of his time at Sevilla. Not so much the last season, but Navas, for he has a lot of benefits. He has a lot of good traits, but his sort of almost main sort of uh, quality that he brings to the right side is he gets forward very well. Yeah. And he gets up and down that line. And Kunde has the ability, the recovery pace to, to cover for Jesus Navas but also to, to be able to go forward and not make it look unbalanced himself. So, so yeah, I, I have to say, I think the entire time he's been in La Liga, he's been at that level. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Well, so often Barcelona too, to, to kind of wrap up, the, put a ball on the, the transfer side of this, that Barcelona have done well. Their track record of pillaging Sevilla for some of their best talent in especially the last 10 years has worked quite well for Barcelona, poaching Rakitic, Alex Vidal, Langley. I mean, I'm even throwing Luke de Jong, who basically helped save Barcelona in their darkest <laughs> hour last year. I mean, really, like when I think of Barcelona in this era, in their darkest days, Luke de Jong as this Gandalf figure coming over the mountain is who I think of. But, you know, plus I have to mention too, Barcelona also took a 10-year-old named Ansu Fati 
in 2012 from Sevilla, another reminder too. But and before that, it was Adriano, it was Danny Alves, the big one, and Sedu Keita came from Sevilla as well. And part of that, even going back to the dream team and beyond, Ricardo Serna and Nando arrived as well. But the player that made the second most appearances for Barca behind Alves that came directly from Sevilla, this is a difficult one because it's all the way back in the, the late 60s, early 70s. And it's Gallego. The center back who Barcelona, he, you want to talk about dark days. <laughs> he helped Barcelona stay afloat during those troubling times of the late 60s and early 70s, arriving from Sevilla in 1965 and then leaving to go back to Sevilla in 1975, making over 325 appearances for Barca again in a time when they had very few talented players. But you can actually see his name if you're watching on uh, on YouTube. It's there. There it is right there behind me. There you go. Gallego. So anyway, yeah, important player, legend of Barcelona, came from Sevilla. And then the other way around, Sevilla doesn't get much from Barca, but Munir did go the other way. They've had a few loans through the years as well as Delafeo and Denis Suarez that neither really stuck. Before that, it was Martin Caceres back in 2011. He really didn't succeed it at Sevilla either. So very rarely does Sevilla get a Barcelona player in their prime or an important part of their career. And you could say that Rakitic, though, going back to Sevilla, uh, he's been an important part of what they're trying to do now. Now, we might talk about Sevilla later on uh, when we talk the rest of the transfers. But again, back to Jules Koundé here. We're going to talk about what he is on the field and what he could mean to Barcelona on the field. As a professional, Rory, he's played 192 games at center back, seven at right back and one at left back. I felt like there was a huge discourse. I made the mistake myself of saying, well, of course he's going to be able to slot in at right back because of the just the dearth of, of center backs that Barcelona has. And yeah, they have Des and Roberto, but maybe they're not going to be trusted in important moments for Barcelona. So you have Koundé as an option there. But again, 192 games, center back, seven at right back. I think it feels like we're over, overblowing that idea that he could fill in naturally at right back. Yeah, I, I totally get what you mean. I think if you look at his performances for France as a right back, it's not quite worked as well as it does as a centre half. And you have to really ask about the strategy. I mean, I'm somewhat sceptical about the idea of signing Ferran Torres if you're going to sign um, Rafinha and keep Dembélé. I think if, you, if you're not flush for resources, then why are you doing that? And if you look at Koundé, do you need to if you're paying that much money for a center half then you need to be playing him at center half and you're better off getting a an out and out right back if that's where you want to play him now as the right side of a back three i think he could really really push on i think he could be fantastic there i think he has all the attributes to give xavi everything that he wants from that position i think the main factor for him as, as a sort of defender and we talk about this aggressiveness about his skill on the ball is just how good he is at dividing lines and he's He's an intelligent player. He knows exactly where the gaps are. He knows where he can drive into space and he knows when to give it off. I mean, that's one of his main benefits as, as a defender. And if you compare that to Ronald Araujo, who everybody loves because he's fantastic to watch, but he's not sort of the most talented on the ball and, he, and he's developing that part of his game. So, so yeah, I think if I was Barcelona, I, I'd be shocked if they were ended up playing him as their right back. I'd almost be more inclined to see Araujo as that right back if he's playing with sort of a hybrid back three, back four kind of, and, and having sort of three sort of major, mainly defensive defenders and one sort of really good pushing forward and then have Kunde as the person who breaks out from that line. But yeah, I, I can't really see him at right back just because I think strategically to make that signing and then play him at right back is a bit of a waste personally. Well, I think Xavi agreed with you. I saw the Red Bull game last week or on Saturday in person. It was the first time seeing Barcelona in quite some time. And I was excited to see Araujo. So he def they defended in our half of the field where I was sitting in the first half. And while Araujo was on the opposite side of the field, his passing and his ball playing and his line breaking it, it wasn't there. It, it wasn't, it wasn't, he's had some good games. He's had some good passes, but it certainly wasn't there in that preseason game for a number of different reasons. Maybe it was the, the press that Red Bull was throwing out. And regardless of what you want to say about the level of competition, the New York Red Bulls, as far as even teams in world football have a high level of press. Like there are teams that do that and there are teams that don't. And Red Bull is one of those that go all out. And those are the teams that Araujo usually struggles with the ball with on the ball. And he did He exactly what, what it was. And so afterwards, Xavi said that, you know, I want my center backs to be able to be better on the ball in those situations. And that's why he has Araujo out at right back. He basically admitted it, that if Araujo gets better on the ball, he'll move in centrally uh, as, as he should be. And he's the best center back as far as a defender. And, you know, we are getting into a little bit of the nuance there. It's like 
you when you mentioned the highlight for Kunde, it was that goal for Barcelona, right? And as I've learned with many of my listeners, especially on social media, about defenders, if if I compliment Eric Garcia, then I'm basically saying that I'm willing to forgive his problems defensively. And we can't do that, right? Defenders are meant to defend. So I I say that with a little bit of rolling my eyes a bit, because we know that when Barcelona have 70% of all possession, that having a center back that can break down lines and again, rest defense and more complicated ideas as far as how to defend, how to win the ball back, that those defenders that push forward and are really good at playing the ball forward, like a Garcia, like a Kunde, have to figure out those other things. Now, Kunde is a much, much better defender than Eric Garcia. I'm going to say that up front very, very, very easily. But one of the concerns I think with Kunde that people are having is his height. He stands at, now for the Americans, 5'10 and 1.78 meters for everybody else. I mean, does that concern you? Because I want to give you a little context here. Garcia is, is six feet. PK is 6'4", Araujo and Christensen are both 6'2". It feels like Araujo's like 6'7", but no, he's only 6'2". The same height, that being Kunde, is the same height as Sergio Roberto. So we will talk about the other stats in a minute here. I'm almost answering my own question here, but 3.15 aerial duels, one per 90, puts Kunde in the 72nd percentile of all center backs in world football, which actually was a bit surprising to me because I thought he would lose more of those. Yeah, definitely. And that's, that's the conclusion... And I don't include you in this at all, Dan, but I think that's the conclusion that people come to if they've not watched Shokunde. Because if you watch him and you watch him defending, he's one of his better traces, how good he is in the air. And he's an incredible leap on him, really sort of gets up, gets up high. Watch 13 goals that he scored for Sevilla. Quite a few of them are him sort of rising above the rest of the defence. And I think there's obviously being tall really helps to win headers, but there are also a lot of very tall footballers that cannot jump and don't jump and then they don't really know how to win headers as a result. I mean, if... if Sergio Busquets, say the yeah. name, Sergio Busquets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, precisely. And Kunde will, will beat Busquets in the air every single time. I can almost guarantee you that. So, so yeah, I think I have very few worries about Kunde in the air. And I think defensively, if you want to pick holes in his game it's more the thing that I'm more worried about Kunde with is the fact that he's coming from the Sevilla system where everything is kind of tweaked for his benefit so as I say Fernando Reyes he sits in very well he's he's I'd say the best in the league but covering for his center well covering for a center back or covering for a misplaced defender he's the best at slotting in and Kunde has that freedom to go forward in the knowledge that Fernando's behind him and then on the flip side as well, Lopetegui, his sides, they do just play with a handbrake on quite a lot and they play safe football for the vast majority of it. It's, it's percentages football. And Kunde has been uh, a sort of an element of chaos, so to speak, in that, and the fact that he takes risks, he goes forward, he's ambitious. But in a Barcelona side, will he have that insurance policy? Will Busquets be able to provide the cover for him? That's partly up to Xavi Hernandez to make sure that does happen. But that would be sort of my main my main concern about Kunde is more when the chaos ensues, what's how is he going to respond to that? And I think he he has recovery pace. He's he's very good one on one. He's he's not going to be beaten because he's in a high line necessarily. It's more either sort of when he pushes forward, and then there's perhaps a gap left, or if Barcelona and the theory is that you're not doing this too much, if they're stuck in their box defending and and sort of wave after wave of attack. I think every central defender struggles with that to a certain degree. But I was this was what I was doing when I was sort of going back through his games last season because I was writing a piece about Kunde a couple of months ago. And I was trying to I was trying to pick holes and I really was having to search, but I was trying to pick holes in Sevilla's defending or in Kunde's defending. And the one thing that did stand out to me is sometimes when the ball gets to the byline, he can be beaten by that sort of run coming in behind him or coming in, in front of him. That's that's literally almost all I could find with him. Yeah. And then as you, we talked about Sevilla's system, right? And that was certainly unlike even a Real Betis or Real Sociedad, when you kind of pick and choose, you pick a player out and say, yeah, what if you plug that player or a different player into this situation? But I felt like last season, as you're saying, for Sevilla, like a compost up top. And then especially playing with those two, just, well, I mean, just a, a big center forward and in this area where 
they have to be that player. It has to be that guy in that system or else it, it won't work for Lopetegui. And we saw when Sevilla did have to make changes or over the course of, especially in the spring, when they had to use the full depth of their squad, when they just look a bit more ragged because if it wasn't the guy that was built for that that role, then they would struggle. And I even felt looking and extrapolating at the other stats for Kunde, I had a little bit of trouble because of Sevilla's system so dedicated to doing, we'll say X, Y, Z, and even defensively. The numbers are so much lower than they probably should be for some of these defensive metrics because of the way that Sevilla chooses to defend with Kunde next to Diego Carlos. So these are stats courtesy of FB Ref, uh, as people know, I use that usually to, to get some of these percentiles and stats and things. So the one that jumps out offensively is he's in the 97th percentile with 1.16 shot creating actions per game. That, again, is a reminder that he does get forward. And when he does get forward, he makes good decisions. That's kind of what you need to know from there, uh, as well as when he does get forward, his 1.54 touches per 90 in the opponent's box is in the 96th percentile. His progressive passes received are in the 97th percentile. He's in the 90th, 90th percentile in all center backs and progressive carries and the 98th percentile in dribbles completed. Again, with what we're talking about, his offensive abilities, none of those numbers are really surprising. If anything, though, to be in a, a high 90s percentile in all of those different categories uh, just tells you that. Not only does he do that, but he's consistent with it. He's consistent beyond the players that, I mean, and there are players around the world that as a center back, you know, for, especially for teams that really go up and down, they don't necessarily do much winning, but their job is really to get up and down. You know, those are the ones that screw those percentiles a little bit. So for a team that succeeds and wins a lot to be in those percentiles, right, where you'd almost expect him to be at the level that we know he can attack at. And then due to the team success, I being Sevilla's, he's in the 28th percentile or lower in pressures tackles, blocks, and clearances. All of those really important defensive metrics, which is interesting to me, particularly the pressures, because whether he's playing with next to Araujo or likely he's playing next to Andres Christensen, you could see that he's going to be the reactive center back, right? He's the one that, especially on this preseason tour, we've seen a lot of Eric Garcia at left back. That means, and that's going to be the left back, right back thing that's, that's puzzling, right? That we've seen in this preseason, Eric Garcia and PK have played at left center back. Araujo has played at right back and right center back. Christensen has played at right center back. Kunde is going to play at right center back. So does that mean that Christensen, having played the most minutes of anybody in preseason, but having done them all at right center back, is he going to be shifted over to the left and Kunde slots in at the right? Or uh, there's a lot of right-footed center backs there. And to that end, it really is one of these pairing situations where it feels like you can't really put Kunde and Eric Garcia together. I can't imagine that that combo that would mean that Araujo will likely have to come over at some point and then you put in a natural right back instead of doing that. So uh, it's interesting to think of the permutations that Xavi has, but also we'll say the limitations of what Kunde's numbers might be in terms of his pressure and all those things. He's going to have to, A, as you said, get out of his comfort zone to become that reactive center back or fully own and embrace being that reactive center back, at least we're saying on the counterattack, defending. So, yeah, I mean, what are your thoughts on the rotation that Xavi might have to play with, with everybody seemingly being a right, uh, right-footed right centre-back? Yeah, I think I think we we do focus on the right-footedness and the left-footedness, and it is an advantage, but I think when you when it comes down to it, you, as a manager or as a player or whatever, you get a feel for who are your best defenders and who are your best players. And eventually, I think, we're playing a four, I, I think, then you'll, you'll see Joe Koundé and Ronald Araujo as centre-backs long-term. Maybe not this season, maybe it'll mix it up, it'll depend sort of on the game. And I think we saw last season, especially one of Eric Garcia's best games was against Real Madrid. And mm. that was because Barcelona played in a very certain way. They played with a lot of the ball and they played very well. They carried out their system almost to perfection in games where Xavi perhaps wants to mix up that system. Or if he wants to, or if he, if Barcelona are suffering a bit more, if they, if they're not possessing the ball as well as they were then, then yeah, I think Araujo and Kunde should be, should be the partnership. But if they're playing a free at the back, then yeah, I think Kunde slots in as that right-sided centre half. But I have to be honest, I think that those stats they do surprise me because one of the things that stands out about Kunde when you watch him and and when you see him play is just how good he is at spotting sort of the and shutting out a counter-attack mm-hmm. how good he is at stepping into the game and, and shutting things down before it gets into sort of the, uh, the Barcelona or Sevilla box and before he has to be running back so it does surprise me and I think 
in in Kunde and Araujo, you have two players that would potentially fit together. And the fact that Kunde, I if it were me, just based off what I've seen from Sevilla, then I would have Kunde as your centre half that steps forward more, and I'd have Araujo as your centre half that stands off a little bit more. Every side, yeah. But but yeah, it'll be interesting to see how Chavi works it because I have to say I was. Unless Chavi wants to play free, then I, I'm kind of confused as to why they signed Andreas Christensen. Um, because I, I think, yeah, Gerard Piquet, I mean, he has his, his fans and his haters, as we saw in the US. But like he he's still at a good level. And I think if you want a third centre-back to, to compete, then Piquet, Araujo and Koundé, that's about as good as you can get for a back four. So I... I think there must be something in the works here, either with Araujo at right back or a back three. Yeah, I think it's that's one. Well, two, I think Xavi, it's interesting because Xavi has said before he arrived, I've said this a billion times before, that ideally he wants to play a 3-4-3. And even this transfer window kind of tells you that these players are fitting in the roles of which he had his players now, Qatar is different than the Liga, of course, but the players that he had in Qatar and the system he ran in Qatar, which, again, that isn't built on individual success or these you know superstar players that can only do X, Y, Z or only want to do X, Y, Z. That system was built on Xavi saying, hey, I'm going to put players in this system, 3-4-3, and the best players for that system are the ones who are going to start and adapt to it. And he could do that. He had the cachet to do that in Qatar, especially, again, with the level of, of the player there. But, you know, in the Liga, it even seems like this transfer window is building up to that 3-4-3. That's why his comments after Red Bull as well was puzzling because he said, you know, 3-4-3 really puts you in danger uh, on the counter. Defensively, it weakens what you want to do. And that's interesting that he, that he kind of went in that direction and said and tried to put fire on that. Uh, sorry, tried to put water rather on that 3-4-3 idea. And, and to that end, I think. I question, yes, PK was pretty rough in that Red Bull friendly. Uh, I've seen it in person. Yeah, he got the yellow. Probably should have been red, honestly. He, he looks like he's struggling, but, you know, he still was arguably Barcelona's most, not maybe the best, because Araujo's ceiling was the best from time to time, but most consistent center back from game to game to game. PK's level was just consistently very, very high last year for Barcelona. But I am concerned about his knees. I'm concerned about the final injury he took last year, the number of games he misses. And I think even though PK is a part of the team this year, it's not like they're forcing him out. He has all those deferred payments anyway. But I think his knees might limit limit when he's available and what he's available for this season. Now, last point here, speaking of injuries, and then we'll go to transfers, Rory. What could be in between Kunde? What is standing in between Kunde? and the starting spot at FC Barcelona for 10 years, aside from injuries. And I say that just to bring up that Koundé has missed. This is incredible. This is incredible. I say durability is a skill. He has missed less than five matches due to injury in the last five years. He has missed double that number due to yellow card and red card suspensions, which he's a center back. So of course those things happen. A young center back, by the way, too. Yeah, no, if, if you're asking what's standing in his way, it's probably Barcelona, to be honest. I think uh, if you have to look at it, it will be either a misuse of him, uh, a misuse of finances, which forced them into a deal they didn't want to do. Or, or yeah, if they fail to find sort of the right partner, maybe he gets he becomes the Frankie de Jong, so to speak, if they fail to find a way to utilise his skills. But as I say, I think more so than Lewandowski or Rafinha, this is the signing that really sort of, it made me smile. It made me uh, go, yeah, okay, that's a, that's a statement signing because I do think there's there's just so few holes in the signing. And I think I, I was shocked, to be honest, that not more clubs around Europe were willing to sort of test the waters, that Chelsea didn't go further with their bids kind of thing. Maybe it was just a case of Kunde being convinced by Chabi, but I think if you're looking for reasons that he might not succeed or reasons that his career at Barcelona might be shorter than that, yeah, it's up to Barcelona to manage their talent well and to make sure that the likes of him, the likes of Petri, the likes of Gabi, they stick around for that period of time. A 23-year-old elite centre-back for 45 million euros plus variables. If he was left-footed, I would call him the perfect <laughs> player, right? That, that's what it would be. If he was left-footed, he would be the perfect, perfect signing. But as far as signing this player at this time, yeah, the short list of centre-backs that Barcelona wanted, needed, and fit and on paper, fit what they're trying to do and fit the skill set that Xavi's looking for. Yeah, Kunde, that's what I come away with, asking, is this a perfect signing? Question mark. That, that's what it is. And one just tiny point as well, um, because I, I know we're moving on, but 
one of the other things that Kunde really has character. He he has cojones. He has that sort of a bit of chutzpah about him that really wins battles and matches. And I think, yeah, okay, he got sent off against uh, Barcelona, throwing the ball at Jordi Alba, but I think Barcelona could do a bit of that, to be frank. I think Barcelona players throw the balls at Jordi Alba in training too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, that's they're, they're, they're professionals. Everybody relax on that. It's just, it's, those are for the memes and the trolls, of course. 100%. But yeah, I think uh, with the sort of fading of Piquet and, and Araujo's got character as well, but Kunde has, it, you saw it in his presentation, first thing he said, thanked everyone for signing, pleased to be here, thanks for the affection from the fans. Now it's time to start training hard and winning games. And like that is the mentality that he has. And I think a big part of Sevilla's success over the last three years is having characters like him in the team that really sort of drag others through it. And I think one thing that Boston have done well this summer is, is buying in those characters. Lewandowski and Kunde are two of them. I think Rafinha has mm-hmm. an incredible attitude and work rate as well. And so I think from that point of view as well, Kunde is a really important signing for, for the backline as a whole. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, pretty much all their signings fit the same thing. I mean, while Rafinha would be the luxury signing, if you want, on paper because they were able to renew Dembele, I have never heard almost anything character-wise about these guys. These are all just high-level professionals. And probably the last point here on Jules Kunde is actually his exodus from Sevilla, because he wasn't the only one that left Sevilla as we transition now to speaking of transfers around La Liga here for the remainder of the show. Because again, I have Rory on here as an asset for all of La Liga, not just for Barcelona signings, even though that is really, I think, following the Liga lowdown and football España, Barcelona signings so far have taken up a large amount of content, certainly over the summer. But there are other teams in the Liga, that being 19 other teams making moves as well or not making moves. That's an important thing to note as well. So they lost both Kunde and Diego Carlos, who left for Aston Villa, as you already mentioned. And then the one head addition has been Marchal from Galatasaray, a 26-year-old center back, along with Kareem Redick. Those two, that being Marchal and Redick, they're the only two center backs at Sevilla at the moment. So, you know, maybe, as you mentioned, Fernando at 35 will be playing some center back this year. And Sevilla still have Enesiri, Rafa Mir, Lamella, Tecatito, Ocampos, Rakitic, Jordan, Thomas Delaney, Bono Inet, who was really, really good last year. And the club legend, Jesus Navas, is still sticking around as the club, uh, as the captain, among others. But I basically already ha- read half their squad to you, Rory. So, I mean... <laughs> Is month? I mean, there is still a month left in the transfer window. That should be said too. So, with a month, is Munchie still? I mean, is he on top of this? It, it seems like Sevilla and going to be in a bit of trouble. Yeah, it's it's sort of a two pronged thing in my view because there was obviously there was rumors that Julian Lopetegui might lose his job last season, and Munchie and him sort of sat down, talked it out, and decided they'd sort of give it give it another go and sort of try and sort of build a new team and start a new cycle. That being said, they did just get beat 6-0 by Arsenal in a preseason friendly. And we know, like, take nothing from preseason friendlies, that kind of thing. But but it's it's not promising, to say the least. Marcao, yeah, OK, he can be a, a good signing and a good replacement as well. But on the one hand, you you want to trust Monchu because he has that sort of track record and he has this really sort of incredible reputation for a reason, for bringing in sort of very good replacements. And he'll have a list already, I'm sure, of that. He'll have players that he wants but he was probably waiting on that Kunde money to to start sort of rebuilding the squad and to start really getting the signings through the door I think for me the Sevilla side looked really tired last season and it looked sort of a bit lacking in energy Juan Jordan who was a big part of their success in recent seasons he's kind of fallen off a cliff in the last kind of six months or so Rakitic for all his benefits he needs the right players around him to be exhibiting his qualities I'm not sure he's quite hit the levels that he would have liked to at Sevilla last season. So, yeah, and is Monchi on top of this? You, you have to trust him with these sort of 30 days or so left in the transfer market to be getting it done. But there's a lot of work to do there. If it were on, on the face of it, if it were to start the summer, I'd say Sevilla were due a big rebuild and they were due sort of uh, filing out quite a, few sign, uh, quite a few players and bringing in quite a few new sort of hungrier, younger talents. And yeah, with a month to go, they haven't really done so. Uh, there's there's rumours around Gonzalo Gedge. I think that'd be a fantastic signing. But again, my big worry for them is they seem to be sticking with Enesiri and Rafa Mir. And unless one of them really takes a step forward, then they're going to be struggling in, in front of goal again. Yeah, I mean, I've always liked Enesiri for what he does. I think as far as just, I mean, he's a big, 
aerial threat. That is what he is. And I think he has the ability to be a top level of that. But those players are limited, right? They have a ceiling if all you, you can do. He doesn't really do much on the ball. He doesn't do much even with his back to net. Uh, and yeah, to have him be your guy, I think you can survive that way, but you've got to have exceptional talent surrounding him and around him. And I think Sevilla, they're also waiting for that musical chairs in the Premier League of which players, which star players want to wait players. We saw with Anthony Martial. That's what I think the formula is going to be for Monty. Monty's already on the phone saying, hey, who, do, who don't you want? Who's not in your position? Let's get let's get them on loan here because we can pay their wages. That's that's the thing about Sevilla. They can pay those wages for or or 60, 70 percent of those Premier League wages. Right. They, they're they're a big enough club to do that. So I think they're just waiting to see which one to wait players they can find. So speaking of um, well, not speaking of, but not many other big names to mention, though, coming out of coming into La Liga, if you will, as again, I only mentioned just one for Sevilla. So as I said, still a month left in the window here, but Chumani from Monaco and Antonio Rudiger from Chelsea to Real Madrid. You know, Chumani hurt because it was one of the first ones, but with all the other signings that have been done and just how good Kessier has been in the preseason makes that Chumani one not hurt just as much. And then Rudiger, the free transfer to uh, to Real Madrid from Chelsea, that's a big one. But Real Madrid, I mean, it seems like they got the two guys they wanted and it seems like they missed out on Kylian Mbappe. And I'm not sure if they... It, it kind of shows that maybe they didn't have a plan B because they didn't really need an attacker. And Queen Benzema is still going to be the starter and still going to be the guy. But yeah, certainly if they can find a backup forward now, they basically took that Kylian Mbappe money, threw it into a money, and now whatever's left over, they're going to try to enhance their center forward spot. Am I am I am I off 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 uh, base with that? It seems like that's the plan. I think so. I think it's always hard to tell with Real Madrid because there's so many competing forces, I think, in the uh, in the boardroom and sort of in terms of what the manager wants versus what the club wants uh, and what Florentino Perez wants on top of that, which usually ends up being what happens. Um, but yeah, I think for them, that is the big question. Do they buy another centre forwards? I mean, they've had Mariano Diaz and Luka Jovic, who on the face of it looked like good signings at the time before they joined Real Madrid. But without the continuity and knowing that Benzema's going to take up almost all of the game time, it's hard to know sort of whether it's worth making that signing. On the flip side, they've got Ed Hazard and Rodrigo Goish. And both of those players, I think, are good, but not quite the level they want them to be. Obviously, Hazard sort of trying to make his way back from injuries. And if you want those players to get back to, in Hazard's case, or to the level that you want them to be at, you need to trust them with minutes. And so you're in a bit of a catch-22. Do you potentially leave yourself short if neither of them can make that step and become sort of a real force of nature as either a backup in Hazard's case, I think, probably, or in Rodrigo's case, a sort of starting right-sided attacker? Or do you spend the money and make sure you're well covered? Recently, lately, in recent seasons, Real Madrid seem to be taking the latter option, one or two big additions a year. The rest of it will let them work out. Yeah, and they're a talented, a deep squad, the team that won the Champions League and won the Liga. And there is something about unsettling the locker room a bit, a bit by believing that you don't have enough. And so, again, just bringing in two big name players and superstars and seeing where you go from there. Now, Atletico Madrid, they brought in Noel Molina, a right back from Udinese, and Samuel Lino, a winger from Gil Vicente, and Alex Witzel comes over on a free transfer. Those are the three big moves for Atletico Madrid. Again, it seems like they, I mean, Rodrigo DePaul, I think, is really the talking point here, who is still at Atletico Madrid. But he, for the first two months, it felt perfect. And then it didn't. And now it really doesn't. So Alex Witzel bringing in a another, we'll say, experienced center midfielder who is just going to do his job and do it the, the CDO, uh, I mean, uh, the Simeone way. It seems like that's the big name, but... I mean, Alex Witzel does not feel like being the big name there. It feels like Atletico Madrid have really, we'll say, well, they're gone for it. But really, in truth, the other name that they're getting is, is Antoine Griezmann again for another season. But aside from that, yeah, I mean, it's another one of those managers questions, right? Uh, like Lopetegui at Sevilla, where is this Simeone's final season? We, we've asked that now for now two years. Honestly, I don't think so. I think Simeone's more safe than ever because I don't think things will go as badly as they did last season. Mm. I think last season, so many things went wrong for them that like Barcelona, they were they were desperate in that sort of second half of the season. I don't think that will happen again. I do think Noel Molina's a really good signing. I think he's, he's a smart pickup. 
I think Vitzo again is is a decent sort of safe option. I think he he'll do a job there for them. But they have said Enrique Cerezo, and if you want to believe him or not, that's your choice. But he said that's the squad done. That's it closed for for us. My mind is exploding as to how that they can go into the season with the centre-backs that they do, knowing that Simeone wants to play a free as well. They have Mario Hermoso and they have um, Stefan Savic, Josemira Jimenez, uh, Lodi and Felipe. So you've got five centre-backs there for, for three positions and two of them in Hermoso and Felipe were an absolute bomb scare last season. How they've gone into the season, and I know finance has played a massive part in this, but how they're going into the season with those five it just seems like a recipe for disaster because Jimenez and Savage had fitness issues as well last season. And so out of those five, you have Lodi, who's the one, the one actually reliable centre half that you know is going to be there every week and is going to do his job. So, yeah, I think that's a major weakness. And for me, it's the thing that really counts them out of the title race, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, Lodi was signed as a left back and his ability to play in both positions, that versatility on the back line. But even, as you mentioned, him also coming over Espanyol seemed like a great signing. And he had great moments, but then he was also put out on the wing because, again, he was such a disaster at center back at times for Simeone. Uh, all right. So we're going to do a little bit of rapid fire here to end it for the rest of the, we'll say the other contenders to reach a Champions League spot here. And then we'll, we'll go down the table with just some notes I have for you. And yeah, just give me a response to what you think of any of these or any of these players you might even be excited to hear. So we're going to start with Real Sociedad, 18-year-old Ford, Mohamed Ali Cho joins La Real from Angers in Liga, along with Rice Mendez from Celta. And a, a young man named Takafuso Kubo moves permanently from Real Sociedad to Madrid. I love the Bryce Mendez signing. Really smart. I think he'll be very good and it will look very good. La Real, as always, you're slightly wondering if they have enough grit and enough sort of uh, mala leche, sour milk to sort mm-hmm. of get them through the season get them to fourth or fifth rather than sixth kind of thing. But overall, quite liking it. One more really good signing makes it a great window. Totally agree. Yep. With with David Silva nearing the end here, having that other center forward, uh, center attacker, if you will, or attacking midfield option, that is what Mendez is. He can play a little bit on the wing, but playing through the center is where you get the best out of him. I agree. I'm excited for that. And then Cho, he may not give you what you need to this year, but that's why he's, I think at this point, uh, unless... Uh, unless you see Isik sold, he's the understudy at the moment. And yeah, it could be, I mean, they produce profile, very similar players. They're, they're tall, they're rangy, uh, and, and almost an understudy there. All right. So to Real Betis, Will and Jose swaps La Real for Real Betis permanently after being on loan, plus Luis Enrique, a 21-year-old right winger from Fluminense, which I'm usually pretty good, but I, I'm not sure who, I, I don't know who that is. <laughs> so I have to do my watching for Real Betis pretty early on. Yeah, I agreed. I think uh, they've also brought in Luis Felipe, center half. I think that's an important signing for them mm. because Mark Bartram and Victor Ruiz don't exactly convince me, I have to say. So I think if he's a solid option and he has been at Lazio, then that's a really good signing. Their big issue is trying to get rid of William Carvalho because he's on massive wages and he's in the last year of his contract. I think Betis are one of those teams that are waiting to see what falls their way in the last kind of month of the transfer market. They're waiting to see financially what they can do to get Hector Bellerin back, which is the, the big story, I think, in yeah. Seville. And and Carvalho will will really define that. Yeah, then Bellerin, of course, any team needs that kind of fashion sense, but they also need a right back to play <laughs> that who wants to get forward. So nothing really to note from Villarreal. Athletic club doing the Atletico, uh, Athletic Club thing. Nico Serrano, the left winger, the name to watch for me next season for Athletic Club. I guess probably their biggest talent. And I wouldn't say that much time, but you're also going to see, of course, continuing to do their thing. Iker Munian, the captain, nothing really changes too much there. And then two brothers up top and Yaki doing his thing as always. And then Nico, we saw him come along a bit on the wing. And it sounds like he's going to profile as being a center forward as well down the road, but we'll wait for that. Uh, and then I actually like what Celta de Vigo have done so far. And I generally do like what they do, and it doesn't always work out. But they did bring in an 18-year-old midfielder from Sweden, Willet Swedberg, who I don't know anything about, or Swedberg, who I don't know anything about, but also grabbed Mingetha from Barcelona. That's official. American Luca de, Tor- uh, de la Torre, who I think can give you a lot of what 
Bryce Mendez did for an eighth of the price. I am I'm kind of trying to tell Celta fans, like, that's actually a pretty good one. Luca Della Torre does his job well. He shuffles the ball well. And he has a bit more attacking flair than I think he's going to get credit for as an American in the Liga. They also got Oscar Rodriguez from Sevilla, in case Della Torre is not the answer there as attacking midfielder. And then Unai Nunez from Athletic Club, I think is a great pickup as well. Both of those coming on loan, Rodriguez and Nunez. So, you know, those are all moves that are low risk, but add depth to a squad that rebounded a bit last season after really being in that relegation fight the year before. So the only bad news here is the falling out with Denise Suarez and then the awful situation with Santi Mina, which again, um, for those who haven't followed it, just give it a quick Google. Santi Mina is not the good guy in this story. It is not a club versus player thing. It's a player versus player thing, as in himself versus himself versus his past. Yeah, just an awful situation there and they've got to get him out. Yeah, 100%. I have to say, I'm a little more worried about Celta. Uh, the selling of Bryce Mendes, I think, to be fair, I didn't know a huge amount about Luca de la Dore, and if he does produce sort of a similar impact to him, then that is a great sort of deal and a great sort of bit of business. But yeah, I am slightly concerned about them because at the minute it's a Iago Aspas and very little else up front. I mean, Santi Mina, as you say, not a good guy, but they don't have another centre forward to replace him yet. And it's one of those ones, Luis Campos, who's now sort of the sporting advisor for PSG, is also giving advice to Celta. And it's one of those things, the same with Monchi, is he's got this track record, you know he's really good at his job, and so you're kind of waiting just to see how it plays out in that last month and see exactly what he brings to the table. Because right now, I think they're, they're, they'll be fine for relegation, but they're a touch short of the top half, to say the least. Oh, yeah, for sure, for sure. That's why I mentioned the other teams before I got to Celta. So basically for Celta, you're right. It's Are they going to be fitting its relegation? I don't think so with who they brought in. But yeah, are they going to be contending for top six? It's going to be a dogfight. So Hadafe uh, up next. Spent a bit getting Borja Moral from Madrid. And then Luis Mia and Domingos Duarte from relegated Granada. So that's all good business from them. And it seems like even without, you know, they're now two seasons removed from Bordelas, Seems like Hadafe is still just going to be very uncomfortable to play against, especially with that Mia pickup. Yeah, I really like Hadafe's business, actually. Duarte, I think, I can't quite understand why so few teams were reluctant to take a punt on him because, I mean, he's got cap for Portugal. Like, this is a good centre-half, two seasons removed. <laughs> and Luis Mia, solid La Liga midfielder, probably a decent pickup too. I really like um, Jaime Seoane who came across from Huesca. I don't know if you remember him from two seasons back, but I really liked what he did in central midfield. He's very hardworking again, very neat on the ball, very smart midfielder. So I I have to say, I do like Katafe, and I think more so than Celta, I'd say they've got a shot at the top half if things fall right for Kike Sanchez Flores. I think I I like that point about Luis Mia. I think that's what I had said in one of the five headlines when they played Granada last year, that he just is a little league midfielder. He is the definition of the solid league midfielder. (laughs) Is he good on the ball? Yeah, he plays in the Liga. He's good on the ball in Spain. And he would he would be, you know, we'll say a, a, an attacking midfielder in some other country. But he also in the Liga has a defensive acumen. And, and just, it's just, yeah, an <laughs> average the Liga midfielder, but deserves to be in the top division. That's why he left Granada here. So Salva Sevilla finally leaves Mallorca at 38 years old. So we'll say, a, I mean, I think he did earn himself as a club legend, even though Mallorca, you know, they're, they, they weren't in their highest time especially with him if anything Mallorca fell to their lowest lows falling to the third division while he was you know one of their main players but uh, he goes to Alaves uh, that being in the second division because Mallorca were able to stay in the first and then 37 year old goalkeeper Manola uh, Reina also goes to Malaga both in the second division again that being uh, Alaves and Malaga so Mallorca it seems like they're turning over the page a bit and they might lose some of their leadership in the locker room and as far as the players they brought in it's nothing really to note I think unfortunately I, I like Mallorca I'd love someday to go see a La Liga match at the stadium but they're going to be in a fight uh, if, if 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 Mallorca survive I'd be would I'd be greatly surprised yeah, if they're the one team that stands out to me as being a little bit worrying from a relegation point of view. They did get Verat Muriki back. He was a big part of their uh, sort of second half survival push. And he, he's not only a big striker for them in terms of sort of aerial threat and uh, what he does as a target man, but a huge striker for them in terms of a reference point and an emotional sort of driving force up front. So I think he's a really good signing. They brought back Pablo Maffeo, who I also quite like. He's gritty sort of uh, unpleasant right back to play against so I really like that business um, but yeah on 
terms of the sort of the, the wider market, they've got a couple more things to do, I think, before we can start thinking that they're really going to push for survival, to be honest. Well, the uh, we'll wrap this up with the two teams that are, well, two of the team, three teams that are arriving in the Liga, starting with Ameria. They did some spending on youth, notably Kaik, which is interesting because he's the 18-year-old center back from Santos that Barcelona was linked with. And the number that I kept seeing from Santos, what again, Barcelona had due to the, the legal issue with Gabigol years ago, they had the first option on him. And it was apparently Santos who was saying, hey, 35 million for this young 18-year-old center back. He goes to Almeria for 6.3 million instead, as well as that being Almeria getting Arnau Sola from Barca's U19s, who we may not see this year, maybe see in the future, uh, plus a few other decent and young pickups, that being Almeria. They've been doing that for a year or two now, just building. Conteas, I believe, is the left back who they got him for a pretty high number. Uh, surprising, like closer to four, five, six million even a year or two ago, and he's been playing in second division. So uh, a few years ago, the reason I'm saying they were able to spend this money, a few seasons ago, they were bought by a Saudi advisor, and they've slowly been pumping money in, transfer window after transfer window. Not too much to break the salary limits, but enough to buy some talent to even sell potentially later or to keep in the squad if they continue to rise. So I would say not only did they win the second division last year, but Ameria is a heavy pick to stay up in the Liga for me. Yeah, certainly out of the promoted sides there, they have to be the favourites. Um, Umar Sadiq's their big striker, and he's going to be key to either their survival hopes or he may be sold, but I think they put a price tag of $30 million on him. Just for some context, Darwin Nunez was the player that was there before Sadiq, and three seasons later, he's at Liverpool for, for $80-90 million, so they do know how to spot a player. Um, and Sadiq will be a big part of it. Guy Gedge, who they got from, I think it's Vittoria Guimaraes, is also pretty highly rated, a couple of million spent on him. And yeah, they seem to know what he's doing. They've got uh, Ruby in charge, who, who some of the listeners may know from, from Barcelona. He used to be an assistant there, used to be at Betis, used to be at Espanyol. So he's been around a bit. And uh, yeah, they've got enough money to, to suggest that they should be able to reinforce beyond what the teams around them can. And then finally, Girona are doing another year of Jan Koto from Man City on loan. I've mentioned him now before, Tati Castellanos, who I got to see firsthand here in New York, won the Golden Boot in MLS last season from NYCFC, and Rodrigo Riquelme, a winger from Atleti. But right now, here's the issue for Girona. They only have 19 players in their first team. So I would expect quite a few more City Group loanies arriving soon. Uh, Man City, uh, very much like the other teams that are looking to poach, you know, talking, we began with Sevilla saying, hey, Sevilla is looking around, sniffing the Premier League. Hey, who, who doesn't want to be here? I, I think if you're Girona, you're literally watching the Man City training and saying, hey, who's who's training by themselves or on the outside because they're likely going to be a Girona player this season. Yeah, 19 players is not enough to play in the Liga campaign. <laughs> Pretty quite quick. To, to that point, they literally just brought in Yangel Herrera today, who mm. formerly of Granada, and I think that's a pretty pretty neat pick, pick up. Uh, for me, more as much as... Pick up. Oh, I really like Angel Herrera. I think, yeah, he is just a destroyer that you don't see often in the Liga, and he's got just enough quality on the ball to succeed. I really like that pickup. Yep. Yeah, it's it's smart by Arnaud Martinez. He sort of uh, raised a few eyebrows in the promotion playoffs and uh, was formerly at Barcelona as well. And I think a few will be watching him. 19-year-old, really like him as a right-back. But uh, yeah, for Girona, for me, it's Michel Sanchez, who's the manager. He's been up twice with Huesca and Rayo Vallecano before. Been relegated both times. He got sacked from Huesca before the end of it. And it's just whether he can adapt his system or whether he perfects his system enough to work in La Liga because he plays really nice, attractive football. It's, I mean, it's a lot of former City products, obviously. So it's a lot of people who are talented on the ball. So if he can adapt to La Liga and, and get it right this time, I think they'll be OK. They've got Kristen Stuani still up front, the, the veteran Uruguayan striker. But yeah, I think uh, Girona, they're going to be a fun team to watch either because they're good or bad this season. <laughs> Yeah, Arno Martinez is the one that uh, you say uh, there is a contingent on the internet that is really pushing for him. And if Girona had not been promoted, then I think Barcelona really would have went hard for one of their former former products. And yes, yeah, Stolani at 35 is still going to be doing his thing. And very much the way I criticize other young, tall center uh, center forwards, Stolani just puts the ball in the back of that. That's what he does. And having Tati Castellanos play off Stolani is something that I'm interested to see because usually... Castellanos has been just had a, a smaller attacking midfielder right underneath him. And now he's likely going to play on the wing 
for Girona. So I'm interested to see where, you know, he was forced into the middle for NYCFC, had to be the guy and and grew into the guy being a golden boot, uh, boot scorer and uh, helping that team do a title. So I think, again, that's a huge, huge pickup for them, that being Girona, of course, all of it through Citigroup as well. But all right, so that'll wrap it up. Rory, where can people find your work this season? Uh, you're writing some great stuff all about the league. Yeah, well, at Rudy Barlow is where I'll be promoting all my stuff, but I'm on Football España and La Liga Loden, as you were saying, and that'll be probably the majority of my work, although I will sort of moonlight in other places. Um, but yeah, thanks very much, Dan. It's been an absolute pleasure, as always. Yeah, thank you for moonlighting here on the Barcelona Podcast. <laughs> really, really, really <laughs> So uh, We're also on Twitter, Instagram too, Facebook, Patreon, uh, the merch store, YouTube, you know where we can find us as we do get prepared for the Liga season. So this is a really good primer for that. And we're going to continue to get ready later in the week. Gampere Trophy, the weekend, and then the following weekend, the Liga begins, and it's all time to, to get things started. So excited for another season. Again, thanks so much to Rory, and thanks to you, the listeners, for another edition of the Barcelona Podcast. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon. Over to Barca. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com